0: so what's trending bridging your catholic faith with your everyday life you're listening to trending with timory on relevant radio you want to try me i'm not talking about that you're a full-grown man in size but it's more than inches or pounds you can be four feet tall and be a man six feet tall and be a child being a man is something that you got to work at real hard
1: welcome to trending with a little help from Mr. Ben Cartwright, giving away the theme for today's program, what it means to be a man, a good man, specifically a Catholic gentleman, disciplines for developing virtue. Jason Anderson is my guest for our first segment. He is a husband, father, history teacher, founder of the Hoban Society of Gentlemen. So we will find out exactly what that's all about, why he felt called to start that group, and maybe that can be replicated in other places, really inspiring what's happening. And he is the first of our two guests on the program today. My name is Brooke Taylor, in for Timmery. Glad to be back with you. And we've got a jam-packed show. It's Thursday, so that also means it's Weekly Marriage Hour here on Trending. And both of our guests necessarily speak to relationships from a Catholic perspective, which ties into our theme, a man's masculinity, true virtuous masculinity complements and brings out a woman's authentic femininity and vice versa. And our second guest on the program is Colleen Carroll Campbell. She is a former presidential speechwriter for George W. Bush, author, journalist, as well as a wife and mom of four. And her book, The Heart of Perfection, How the Saints Taught Me to Trade My Dream of Perfect for Gods, is what we will explore on the second part of the show. So she covers the challenges of perfectionism. When is being a high achiever going into the area of sin and vice and obsession and control and scrupulosity. And so ultimately how she was able to embrace abandonment with the saints and how they were instructive and how to live in the present moment and letting go of the desire of control. So we are going to talk about that. We have our work cut out for us, a big show today, lots to get to in the next hour. So let's jump in. My first guest is the social studies department chair at Archbishop Hoban High School in Akron, Ohio, where he has taught AP U.S. history, world cultures, modern world politics, U.S. history, economics, and it goes on for the last 22 years. He teaches college credit plus courses. Also, his archaeology class has collaborated for the past nine years with the team at Mount Vernon in helping to excavate parts of the Washington estate, also working for two years at Historic Jamestown. Jason was named Ohio's Outstanding Teacher of American History by the Daughters of the American Revolution in 2011. And he and his wife, Susan, are also the father of two sons. Delighted to hear more about his work now. Welcome to the program, Jason
0: Anderson. Thank you, Brooke. Uh, This is quite an honor to be on your show.
1: Well, I'm looking forward to the time we have. I know it's going to go quick. So I want to just jump right in and what you're doing to reach the hearts of young men. I just want to look at some of the numbers. If you are a regular listener of Timorys show or relevant radio at all, you're very already clear eyed about this. But the landscape, boys are more likely to be diagnosed with ADHD. Young women are going to college at rates higher than men boys are falling behind in education, and also the substance abuse, addictions, pornography, mental health issues plaguing our boys. And 80% of suicides are men. And I know that this is your work. This is your heart as an educator. You instruct both young men and women, each with you know, different strengths and challenges. But in regards sure. to the guys, t- take, us, take us into what you're seeing. Do those numbers that young men are struggling match your experience? And what do you observe in your classroom
0: year over year? Sure. I think that over the past 20 years, there's been a change in, uh, in, in the way that young men are young men. Um, I think that there's a there's a great competition within the classrooms all across the country, whether they be public school classrooms or Catholic school classrooms, where the teachers are in competition with technology, in competition with cell phone use and things of that nature that are just bombarding our young men with everything that is is not at all manly, uh, not at all good and wholesome and Catholic. And so, as a as a Catholic teacher, you're constantly competing with that. And so, it it is it is easy to see the young men specifically um, rising in, in ADD and these attention deficits, because they're simply not given those outlets um, to release that energy that every young man has. Uh, and they're they're kind of demanded that you will sit in place and you will sit here and you will do this thing in this chair, versus you know, active learning and, and active participation in, in the world around them. And, and part of what we've been trying to do over the past couple of years at Hovind, especially with the Society of Hovind Gentlemen, is to get these young boys, these young men, these good young men, and they're all good young men, really focused in a way that, how can I express my masculinity, my sacred masculinity? How can I express it in a, in a manner that complements the women at school and complements each other as young men in the school. It's a challenge, um, but it's a, it's an exciting challenge. And it's something that I'm definitely up for the challenge for. And I see the young men are are just chomping at the bit to be able to get in and, and be part of this and express themselves in a way that maybe they've never been allowed to do prior to, to this kind of experience.
1: And we know what the transcendentals, truth, beauty, and goodness, that truly holy aspects can't compare to what we see in a worldly sense. And even, for example, the way we dress, that the more formal the attire is, the more gender specific it is. So for men to wear a tux, it's very male in the way it looks, a woman to wear a ball gown, and that there is an art form to that. It doesn't mean that we need to compete to spend a lot of money and wear a designer brand, but there is an art form to the suit. And I know that's one of the many things that you do, whether it's service or craftsmanship or prayer even how to wear a suit. And maybe you can yeah. kind of open us up into some of the pearls that you've passed along in what this Society of Hope and Gentlemen does
0: and offers. Sure. Actually, one of the very first things that we ever did uh, when this club first started, when it was first formed, um, it was prior to, I believe, a fall dance that we had had at school. And the young men were there, and, and they were, we had a, an entire discussion on good etiquette. And how to dress well, how to look nice, even the, the, the simple fact of, of wearing well-polished dress shoes. And so I remember we were sitting there and a couple of the other adults were in there with me and I do some tailoring, so I do some sewing as well. And I remember asking the, the, the boys, I said, when was the last time you went to the store and bought a dress shirt? And they looked at me like I had walked off the moon. They're like, what are you talking about? I said, when you go to the store to buy a button-down dress shirt that you're gonna wear with a tie, what size do you wear? And they had no idea what I was talking about. So I, I, I went further and I said, okay, the, the number on the tag, the 17 and a half, 34, 35, do you know what that means? And they, they had no idea. So the next meeting, I actually brought in a tailor's tape and took the measurements of all the boys and they wrote them down and they went out and they bought their own dress shirts and some of them came back and, and it seems silly to an adult man, but these young men were so excited to come back and say, I bought my first dress shirt, and it fit me perfectly, and boy, did it look good. And I will never forget one a freshman boy came in after that initial meeting, and he paused every young man in this meeting, and he stood up in front of everybody. This is a freshman kid, and there's seniors and juniors and everybody in this group. And he walked to the front of the group, and he said, I'm going to show you something. And he was so proud of the fact that he had, for the very first time, polished his own shoes. And that sounds so silly, but it was such a sense of accomplishment. And every every young man in that room stood up and applauded this young man for what he did. And that from that point on, this this is done. This is an amazing thing. And these young men just crave this kind of bonding experience with each other in such a positive, positive fashion.
1: Yes, and it's so profound yet so simple. Uh, Jason Anderson is my guest. He's a husband, father, historian, founder of the Society of Hoban Gentlemen at the Catholic High School, where he is the social studies chair, Archbishop Hoban High School in Akron, Ohio. And I know, Mr. Anderson, that your official prayer for the Society of Hoban Gentlemen is the Chaplet of St. George. St. George is your patron. Why did you choose that saint for your
0: group? That was, that, was a, that was a no-brainer, I'll be really honest with you, Brooke. Um, first of all, our school mascot, were the Hoban Knights. So picking a knight mm. was, was definitely one we had to look for. And St. George is one of my patron saints. And so finding the most manly, masculine, just awesome image of St. George was my, was my first quest. Digging into the history of the church, which I do a lot and I really enjoy, uh, finding this old chaplet of Saint George with an initial prayer, you know, asking God, for example, uh, in the very beginning prayer, to to uh, enliven uh, my intellect, illumine my the darkness of my intellect with a ray of Thy heavenly light, and inflame my heart with a fire of Thy divine love, and it goes on and on, and so to have this chaplet as part of our initial uh, meeting, every meeting is so very, very important because that's the core of what we do and who these boys are. It's it's very easy to say, hey, let's get a bunch of guys together and let's, let's be guys. It's something very different to say, hey, let's get all these young men together and let's be good Catholic young men because prayer has to be the foundation of everything and at anything that we do, whether it is a service project we do, whether we're going to go out like we did before Thanksgiving, and have a tomahawk throw competition. You know, (laughs) it is prayer that guides us in everything. And we have to realize that that cell phone they have is great, but it never, ever, ever competes with prayer to God, prayer to our saints, and and that, that is so, so vitally important.
1: Since we have a limited amount of time, I just want to make sure that we share the number in case anyone has a question while you're on. Jason, it's one triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. Our studio line is open. Jason Anderson is our guest. He's the social studies department chair at Archbishop Hoban High School in Akron, Ohio, and over the past twenty-two years, teaching AP U.S. History, World C- Cultures, Archaeology, also the founder of the Society Hoban Gentlemen's Club, which we've been discussing and discussing. And Jason, in where we are facing this crisis of masculinity, increasingly we see grown men who just haven't matured. And if you drill down into it, it's actually the definition of effeminacy. And not affected speech, for example. But Saint Thomas Aquinas defined effeminacy as the inability to put aside pleasure in pursuit of the arduous good. And so, how many men who are grown adults still chase after entertainment, whether that's video games or constant, you know, overeating, whatever? And essentially, that means and staying away from doing hard things because it means we have to give up our comfort it's a form of sloth of spiritual acedia and so you know it's about boys never really becoming men because they've never learned discipline and how to deny themselves anything and the genius of what you're doing is that it seems like you're inducing these young boys to grow in virtue, to embrace beauty, service, and, and service over frivolity and vice, but making it engaging. So I guess, what are some of the activities and disciplines that, you, that really stand out to you? The suit is a fantastic story. You talked about hatchet throwing. What other things? I know you do service as well, prayer. Yeah,
0: yeah that's, that was the fun part. But uh, like the service is key. <laughs> uh, for example, we will go to the custodian of the school and say, what do you need done? Uh, if there is work to be done around the school, you don't, I don't care what it is, tell us, and we'll, we'll jump in and do it. Our school is, is a Holy Cross school, and it is in inner city Akron and in kind of a rough part of town. And the neighborhood that we are in is the core of where our service needs to be. And it needs to continue and it needs to grow uh, bigger and better. So we, we are working on literally going across the street from our school into the neighborhood's engaging the neighbors uh, offering service offering help Uh, we have an invasive plant that grows up the hill going to our school that ends up covering the entire sidewalk for example in the summer and the fall and we go out and we cut it all back so that any student that is having to walk to school in the rain the snow whatever has a clear path to walk that's just something we do we just get in and do it um and and the boys and again my big point in all of what we're doing is never to say okay who's who's not doing their job who's not raising the boys who's not uh, encouraging them my challenge is what what are what am i doing what are you doing what is every individual doing and if you can say i'm doing a b and c in my own time to help benefit these young men then that's great but if you are expecting someone else to do it, then that falls back on you. And, and that's one of the things that I never want to, uh, to become a reality for me at our school. If I see that something needs to be done, and I see this is a great teaching moment for the young men, we're getting in and we're doing it. And, and it's, it gets to the point with some of our service projects that I don't even ask anymore. I just get the boys rounded up and we go and we do. Um, now we do, we have some fun. Uh, we have a, a minor league ball club here in Akron and we go, watch a ball game every once in a while and just have some fun because you can't have a club like this that is just all work and no fun. So the, again, the right. Tomahawk Throw Competition, which, which that was a lot of fun, I will say that. Uh, we have, we have <laughs> pancake breakfasts together. Uh, we, have a, we have a coffee club, so we have coffee in the mornings. Sometimes we play an, an old 18th century uh, card game. Um, so we do these camaraderie building activities so that when it is time to do service, that's just a natural response, and it's a natural flow of everything. We pray, throw back some coffee, and go out and do some service. And, and that's the core of, of, of what this is. And it and it's awesome to see that the young men just respond to this so positively.
1: As you're describing these activities, my heart is just expanding because as you're saying, this is where the hope is, and to hear you is great encouragement in the midst of so many dark headlines. And as you mentioned, right where Archbishop Hoban High School is located is in Akron, Ohio. And this week, the media has been concentrating a lot on the city because of the grand jury decision not to prosecute. There were eight officers that were involved in a shooting of a young man there. His name is Jalen Walker. That happened last summer. And, you know, for everyone in the community, the whole situation, it's a loss. It's it's sad when anyone, when, you know, their life is taken uh, too young. And this is why I think now more than ever, we need to look at things that are working, the seeds of truth, beauty, goodness that you are sowing in the hearts of these young men. And, and it does seem genuinely like it's bearing fruit. So I just wonder, as I guess we wrap up, do you have any specific stories of young men related to the Gentleman's Club that have really inspired you?
0: It, it, it's all prayer. When I see the young man come to me and say, Mr. Anderson, what do we need to do? Or, or what do we need to step up and help out with? Mr. Anderson, can we go ahead and, and lead certain prayers? For example, I know that um, coming up here in a couple of weeks, we'll be leading our annual Mary crowning at school. And the, the Hoban Society of, of Hoban Gentlemen, they lead this. Uh, we bring in a priest who's in the area who is a, is a Hoban alum, and these young men have a, a canopy. We process around the school with a statue of Mary. The young ladies in the school come out as well and help carry the flowers. Um, I mean, we incense the statue, we pray, and the visible presence of prayer is the key to everything. So whether it is getting over the problems of this past week, how do you deal with tense situations, it is only through prayer that you do this. Um, every day in every one of my classes, I start with a Decade of the Rosary. So much so that the students know that as they come in, no matter what class it is, that's how we start every day. And every day, every one of them. Men and women alike can offer their special intentions for anybody and anything. And you really begin to see that that prayer, whether it be for the young men or the young women or liberty or justice, takes root. And you just have to do it and do it and do it and never, ever let up on it. And that's, that's the way it works.
1: Well, the zeal with which you also demonstrate and teach is very contagious and i i can say that because in the interest of full disclosure my son grant was blessed to be one of your students and not only in prayer but as you teach american history and archaeology and religion it is beautiful because you are living that and we need more of it so i know on behalf of all teachers especially again when you see some of the bleak discouraging things that are going on in our education system, whether that is public, private, it's sometimes depressing. So it's so hopeful to hear about what you're doing. And I hope too, that as we hear this about the Hoban Society of Gentlemen, that maybe it could be replicated. Did you just kind of receive this inspiration or had you heard about it somewhere else? Because I hope it catches on.
0: I hope it does too. And really it was just simply one of those Situations where several of my colleagues at school and I were just so distraught of the constant attacking of masculinity and young men across all you know, the, the more common media outlets. And we looked, looked, looked at each other and said, okay, we need to do something. What do we do? We need to do it. We need to make it positive. We need to make it Catholic-centered. We need to make it prayerful. We need to make it engaging. And, and away we go. And it's, it's been a lot of fun. I mean, and again, we get young men who are athletes, we get young men who are you know, bookworms, we get everything in between, and, and a mix of everything. We get seniors, we get freshmen, we get incoming students. Um, our uh, demographics in our school, it changes often, it changes a lot, and our club reflects that. And that is, that is just an amazing thing. And they're not, not every young man is Catholic that's in the club, and nor do they have to be. Um, every, every young man, I was talking to one of my colleagues this morning, about having the Chapel of St. George that I make for them, and, and they have. Some of them wear that as a bracelet. Some of them put it on their book bags. And you'll see these walking down the hallway, these small little, you know, kind of like a mini rosary that these boys have on their book bags, and you know exactly what it is without them wearing it on their arms saying, you know, look at me, look at me. And that's what makes a good man and, and a humble man. And And I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about this, but I have to be humble myself and say that, there's a lot of people at our school that are doing amazing things to build up the young men and the young women in a good Catholic sense, and I'm honored and I'm totally blessed by God to be there and to continue to be there and have an opportunity to do this kind of service myself with these young men at Hogan.
1: Amen. And I, you know, there have been so many prayers and sacrifices offered for that. So to hear it is encouraging. And you know, it's not just the other guys that might notice a chaplet. It's it's the young Catholic girls that notice the guys wearing the chaplet as well. So that's a beautiful sign. Like, okay, that's a good guy. And of course we're all yeah. striving and sinful, but it's a beautiful thing. And I hope that this model is is replicated. And I have to smile because in contacting you and putting together the timing, filling in for Timory today and seeing on the calendar that the Feast of St. George is just three days away, right? Are we almost mm-hmm. uh, on so the 23rd?
0: On Sunday, my, my son's birthday.
1: Wow. So the patron, a, a special consolation and grace to be able to have you share. And we thank you so much. You. Again, Jason thank Anderson, you. husband, father, historian, founder of the Society of Hoban Gentlemen at the Catholic High School, where he is a social studies chair at Archbishop Hoban High School in Akron, Ohio. We thank you so much for your leadership and for your example.
0: Thank you very much. Brooke. Have a great feast of St. George Day. Thank you. You too. God bless you. My
1: name is Brooke Taylor in for Timory Colleen Carol Campbell will be joining us after the break to discuss the heart of perfection, how the saints taught me to trade my dream of perfect for gods That's the name of her book, and she's on deck. We'll be back to explore themes of control, perfectionism, abandonment. Right after this, you're listening to Trending. Stay with us here on Relevant Radio and the app.
0: For 40 years, Colby Academy, our show sponsor, has aided parents to help their children excel spiritually and academically. On April 21st, Colby is hosting a virtual open house. Don't miss it. Register today at relevantradio.com Colby. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timmery on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app.
1: Carol Campbell is an award-winning author, print and broadcast journalist. She is a former presidential speechwriter, and her books include My Sister's The Saints, for spiritual memoir and the heart of perfection, how the saints taught me to trade my dream of perfect for gods, which we are going to explore today. Welcome back to Trending. My name is Brooke Taylor in for Timory, And before we even open the pages of this magnificent book, I want to just share the studio line in case you have a question for Colleen. She will be with us for the rest of the hour. It's one 914 9149 Delighted now to welcome Colleen to the program. Hello. Hi, Brooke. Thanks so much for having me. So glad that you were able to to fit us into your schedule. I enjoyed your book when it first came out. It's been out for a little while. I revisit it periodically and just so appreciate the theme because even in the title, Colleen, The Heart of Perfection, How the Saints Taught Me to Trade My Dream of Perfect for Gods, there is so many different layers that we can take away and contemplate because we know, and I know you will talk about it in your book, when we think of perfection, it can take many different forms. And and that can also be a place of great spiritual battle and blurred lines. What's the difference between being a high achiever, and obsession, OCD, scrupulosity, and ultimately a desire to be in control. And all of these themes in your book you cover with honesty, clarity, and then ultimately taking us into the sacred heart of Jesus, the place of perfection and peace. And and I guess I just want to start there. This very transparent story is a personal one for you.
2: Yes, it is. Um, As I mentioned in the beginning of The Heart of Perfection, I never thought I was the perfectionist type, and um, I laugh now because that's almost always the first comment I get from readers of the book is, I bought this for somebody else because I'm not a perfectionist. Then I started reading and realized maybe I am. So so, uh, my epiphany was becoming a mother. And just realizing that, in fact, I did struggle with perfectionism, it was hidden, it doesn't manifest the same way in every life, which is why it's an easily hidden spiritual um, struggle, because, you know, we see somebody else's perfectionism very clearly, sometimes we don't see the areas in our own lives where we're striving for too much control, where we're expecting... Um, something beyond what's what's really uh, possible for ourselves at that time, that kind of thing. So um, this was a struggle, and I recognized pretty quickly after becoming a mother, I have four children, I homeschool them, I uh, you know, had a pretty fast-paced career, and uh, just recognized I was not going to be able to be the kind of mother I wanted to be if I continued to hold on to my perfectionism. And more importantly, I wasn't going to be the kind of follower of Jesus I wanted to be, because the very perfectionism I thought he was asking of me was really getting in the way of me growing in holiness and closeness to him. And so that was the epiphany for me, and that's what started me on the journey that led to this book.
1: And also you have temperaments, personalities, you hear about, you know, type A personality. In your whole life, it seems like you had that characteristic of really being a high achiever. You were a presidential speechwriter, a journalist, and also the bar was set pretty high. It's so endearing in the book you go into, tell us about your grandmother and the story of her life and her (laughs) devout ideal. And maybe you can introduce us to her because she really set the standard of high achieving. And it seems like it wasn't until later that you were able to really reflect on her life in a different way outside of the eyes of a child.
2: Yes, well, uh, you know, I love Grandma B, and she was, uh, you know, kind of Miss Green Bay, we used to call her, and I know Relevant is based there, so we have a great fondness for Relevant. Um, so she was yes. from Green Bay, Wisconsin. Uh, she had 12 kids, and she ran nearly every arts and Catholic organization in town. She was on the board of everything. She helped start Art Street, a big festival there. She was running the Symphony Guild. Uh, board of Catholic charities plus the you know the twelve kids then she was taking in foster kids animals that needed homes that was her too um, she marched her her twelve ducklings into daily mass every morning before school before they went to Catholic school where they often went to mass again and these were in the Latin mass days so this was not a, a quickie you know 25 minute. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and and she would make her own meals for them at lunchtime. She'd have them come home because she didn't think the parochial school fair was up to par. So she was into whole wheat bread when everybody was drink, eating the Wonder Bread. And she was, you know, she would just did everything to the ninth. Plus, you know, looked looked great, stiletto heels, matching hat. You know, just dazzling personality. And um, she's an awesome woman, and there's so much I love about her. Uh, but I did come to see that she also drove herself very hard, and and some of that did. Um, you know the family felt that too and i saw how you can you can wear yourself out trying to do all the right stuff and it, it can come at a real cost and i think it's a very human tendency because it's so easy especially in in, in a realm like parenthood that seems kind of amorphous to focus on the external stuff cuz at least we can prove we did something you know <laughs> hey at least yes. my kid looks good at least they're getting good grades at least whatever and and really the deepest, most important work of, of parenthood, of growing in our faith of, of life, is often the interior stuff. You can't measure by those standards that, that type A folks like. and. Um, that make us feel more comfortable and in control so uh, that was that was a piece of my journey and 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 of just recognizing with a great deal of compassion for her that some of the flaws too that are you know you know her, her kids would harp on oh she was so demanding this and that i could see though where that came from it came from a very um a place of striving to do the best and but i could also see how there's a cost when we um sometimes mistake that for God's best, because our best is not always, you know, what God's asking. He's sometimes He's asking something different than what we think is the best.
1: Colleen Carol Campbell is with us. The Heart of Perfection is the book that we're talking about. How the Saints taught me to trade my dream of perfect for God's. So we're talking about. Grandma B, Queen B, I know you called her. And at the same time, you know, I'm thinking about her and relating with my own grandma and I think that generation too. And, you know, part of, again, and just having talked to Mr. Anderson on the first part of the show, a history teacher, started the Society of Hope and Gentlemen, one of the transcendentals of our faith is beauty, truth, beauty, goodness, and beauty takes right. work. And as we learned from great philosophers and artists of beauty, like Dietrich and Alice von Hildebrand, for example, to be craftsmen of beauty Takes work. I mean, if we want to see a glorious sunrise in the morning, we have to get up and put the work in by waking up <laughs> early. If we want to look nice, you know that takes effort. But we can take it too far, and it sounds like, as you said in the the top of our conversation, it didn't happen until you became a wife and mom that you saw that maybe you were taking it too far, and, and maybe it was an obsession. You say a bad day for the ego is a good day for the soul. And parenthood can definitely (laughs) hold a mirror to that.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I think, you know, I think the key for me was when I finally saw in reading Rereading much of scripture that i think i'd interpreted wrongly sometimes the first time around or second uh and also especially diving into the stories of these ex-perfectionist saints who are really the heart of a lot of the teaching in in the book is, is their stories and how they overcame perfectionism i came to see that letting go of perfectionism was not about just settling for mediocrity and and just giving up on the ideal of holiness it wasn't that at all because that had That had always frightened me. Okay, if I let go of this, would I just gonna be a slacker? I don't really care anymore. That that's not me. That's not who I want to be either. And I don't ever read about saints who just didn't much care and somehow wandered into holiness, doing great things for God. And that's not what it is. The amazing thing is we don't have to give up on that deep hunger we have inside ourselves for beauty, for truth, for perfection. God put that there. He wants us to do great things for Him, but. The big key is we've got to surrender our ideas and our way of getting it done for His. And that is, I think, a lifelong struggle. So it's really replacing this uh, worldly standard of perfection for the gospel standard. And if you flip it, it's really flipped on its head. It's a whole different world, you know, and we got it from the Beatitudes. I mean, what Jesus lays out as what we're striving toward, man, that is not how to be the best version of you in the world's eyes. Right. It, it's just it's very upside down, you know, poor in spirit and meek and suffering, man, you know, we don't we don't want that. But in fact, he's saying the road to holiness, it, it's that way. It's not the way of being always best, brightest, everyone sees and applauds. And that
1: is, it really, it goes back to humility, really. And you give example after example in saints, I know that were instructive for you and and are for all of us and how you tell the stories of how they allowed God to work on their perfectionism, abandon their lives to Him, trust Him. I remember reading a story about St. Julie Billiard that she went so far as to even delight in being wrong. Not that she intended to be wrong. But if that a mistake right. were made, she would let it lie. There was at one time she had written a letter to a bishop and I remember reading that it had a spelling error and she would not allow her sisters to correct the document because she wanted the <laughs> bishop to know how ignorant she was and that she misspelled. And I can't, I just had to sit with that and think, oh my goodness. In fact, today, promoting our conversation, I i, I made a misspelling and I was like, oh my goodness, St. Julie Beeler, <laughs> pray for me because this, you know, is down to the, especially if you're a journalist or in this case she was writing to a bishop and over and over I mean St Thérèse of Lisieux you talk about her humility so maybe take us into that a little bit the perfectionist saints and how St Thérèse I know St Ignatius of, of Loyola and his examine how they were instructive to you
2: yeah, well, there's so many. I mean, once you start looking, you see it everywhere. And there were more stories I could have told. But the ones I picked, uh, saints like Alphonsus, Liguria, Ignatius, Loyola, Jane de Chantal, a, a mother, ended up being a single mom of four, and, and working mom, too. She was a busy lady, um, you know, striving for the best, but uh, often at the cost of of to people around her. And to great cost to herself, not getting enough sleep, not eating enough, trying to do all these things uh, to the nth degree until St. Francis de Sales himself, a recovered perfectionist, got a hold of her as her spiritual director and said, no, you're going about it all wrong. It's gentleness, humility, and meekness. That's where Jesus works in our lives. And then he will do amazing things. And the two of them founded the Visitation Order, did all sorts of great things together. But first, she had to give up her iron, you know, fisted, this is how I'm going to do things. Therese is a terrific example. And that's why she's the last chapter in the book, because, you know, I'd already written about Therese in my previous book, My Sister's the Saints, and I thought I kind of had Therese down. But man, when I looked at her through the vision of uh, perfectionism and saw she had been on this journey, and that's what her little way is all about. It's about surrender. It's about she even goes so far as to say she delights in her weakness. There I go again just shows you how much I need Jesus. And she just offers it up, just turns and offers those mistakes, those weaknesses, those defects of character she's still working on after all these years, her hypersensitivity, her scrupulosity, all of it. She just continually offers it back to Jesus and asks him to do something good with it. And and so she gets to a point where She's no longer distressed about her mistakes and her weakness. And she has this deep affection for the sacred heart. And that was a theme I saw all through these saints stories. This close attachment to the devotion to the sacred heart. And for Therese, it's not about guilt and always, you know, only focusing on Christ's suffering, although obviously that's an important part of the devotion. But it's also about remembering that he told us and, and we know through scripture we don't have what we need just in ourselves to love the way he wants us to love. We have to open our hearts to his. We have to ask him to replace our broken, stingy hearts with his, his heart of of flesh, as scripture says, And, and love others through us, we ask Jesus. I mean, that's what Therese's act of oblation all of her uh, great writings, especially toward the end, were about, about asking Jesus to love others through her in the way He wanted them to be loved. And that kind of love, that's about being vulnerable, being willing to suffer, putting up with others' faults with patience and as saint james Chantal talked about the greatest trial sometimes is putting up with our own faults and saying yep i'm going to get up and try again go to confession again for this one or, or apologize again for this one and you know uh, i know francis said shortly after he was elected it's not that god gets tired of forgiving us we get tired of asking for forgiveness and gospel perfection says i'm going to keep asking i'm going to keep going and i'm not going to give up out of pride that, well, I just can't be fixed and I'm sick of being on my knees asking for help. Jesus wants us there because that's where we can unite to Him in our humility and recognize that we need Him. And we all need Him, whether we recognize it or not. When we let go of perfectionism, we just see it more clearly how much we need Him.
1: It's so true. And the human condition remains the same through time whether it's the middle ages or antiquity or our modern era we might have different anxieties or fears but but really when it comes down to it you know that we many women are people pleasers we want we want we all want to get to heaven and we fear you know losing the things that we love and i think that's why over and over the stories of the saints speak to us Saint Jerome the patron saint of difficult personalities (laughs) or Saint Therese (laughs) and her little way and Saint Benedict of Nursia who you really beautifully demonstrate in your book how he moved from really fleeing the corruption of the world in Rome during that time to embracing monastic life and really how his rule the ordinary profound simplicity transformed your own and I wanted to just quickly I guess maybe almost on the other side of the spectrum ask this question from producer Patrick, A log, he said, What how what is your response to people who say, Oh, as long as I make it to purgatory, <laughs> everything is fine? Why? <laughs> because that's on the yeah, other but, side. So how would you respond to that?
2: Right. I always tell my kids, you don't want to aim for purgatory, because if you fall short, we know <laughs> <what> that <is. laughs> you know, in, in most of life. We don't we don't aim for just barely crossing the finish line, right? So uh, again, I think that's a misconception that if we let go of perfectionism, that means um, then we have to settle into mediocrity. And in fact, I think that's the world's answer to perfectionism. We have a very anxious culture full of anxious people you know, I think a lot of us are anxious because there is so much of this talk of, you know, you got it, you're you're good enough in yourself, you are enough, heck, I, I'm not enough, I'm, I'll i say it right now, I'm not enough, I'm not enough to be the mother I want to be, to be a saint. I, I On my own, I'm not enough, but with Jesus, He gives me enough, and He will give me the grace I need. Um, but I think uh, that is the world's answer, it's hey, relax, just stop having these high moral standards. You faithful Catholics are so, you know, tied up about the teachings and worried about sex and worried about this. You just need to relax. You know, whatever you can do is good enough, and that's just how it is. You know, and I think there's something deep within us that just rebels against that and says, I don't know, that just doesn't sound quite right. And it doesn't because God made us to want holiness. He made us to want union with Him, to want perfection, the perfection of, of Him. And so I don't think we should answer our perfectionism by just throwing the baby out with the bathwater and saying, now I'm not going to try. Or, you know, whatever I am already, that's that's all I need to be, and that's all I'll ever be, and that's fine. That's not at all what Jesus is saying in the gospel. I mean, be ye perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. He's not calling for mediocrity, but he's also telling us over and over again in the lives of the saints that you are not going to get there on the strength of your own steam engine, right? You're, you're just not going to white-knuckle your way into heaven, that's just not how it works, and that's where grace comes in. We have to cooperate with grace, we don't just slide by only on grace, but we very much need grace, and Augustine was great on this, fighting the Pelagians, who thought they could just work their way to heaven, they didn't need grace. And sometimes Catholics can fall into the same trap, you know? If, if we just do everything right, we'll just earn our way. But it's a free gift, His grace is a gift, we need His grace. But we don't lower the standard. We don't lie to ourselves that there is no standard. That's, that's just a self-deception, and that's not going to make us happy in the end. The standard is there. You know, he's calling us to perfection, but he's giving us what we need to get to holiness, and it's not on the, you know, on the strength of our own just willpower alone. That's not going to get us there, but we can get there
1: one of the excerpts of your book that I think just powerfully drives that home is you say this part of relying on grace is admitting that we can't do everything we want to do when we want to do it that's asking a lot of an achievement addict and Benedict knew as well as anyone the sense of urgency that can leave perfectionists antsy and panicked at the passage of time his own sense of urgency pulses from the third paragraph of his rule where he quotes Jesus walk while you have the light so that darkness may not overcome you John 1235 but with a twist run while you have the light Benedict urges run after assuring us my words are meant for you whoever you are let us arise without delay the scripture stirring us you say we must be ready to run Benedict believes yet we must also be ready to acknowledge the limits on how far we can go at any given day and that is where habits and routine come in so I want to leave it there and come back and revisit that as well as then taking us into the sacred heart you mentioned it and how the sacred heart of our lord transformed your own journey into perfection to abandonment we'll be right back with colleen carroll campbell the heart of perfection how the saints taught me to trade my dream of perfect for gods is the book we're exploring my name is brooke taylor in for timory you're listening to trending we'll be right back here on relevant radio and the app
0: On April 21st, our show sponsor, Colby Academy, is hosting a virtual open house where parents can meet with families from across the country and learn how your child can flourish at home. Register at relevantradio.com slash Colby. We're talking about what you're thinking about. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio
1: app one is the studio line here at Relevant Radio. If you have a question for Colleen Carol Campbell, we are discussing perfectionism, control, the saints, God's grace, confessed and chronicled in her book, The Heart of Perfection, How the Saints Taught Me to Trade My Dream of Perfect for God's. And... Colleen, it's Brooke Taylor in for uh, for Timmery. Colleen, we were talking before the break about the sacred heart, about God's grace. And I was thinking about a friend of mine who suffered a lot of trauma in her younger years. And as she's gotten older, and it hasn't been until she was able to go through a lot of counseling, that she was able to see that a lot of her control really stemmed from trauma. Because if she could control the schedule, the children, her husband to a point, and you know, all of the things in her little bubble, she knew that she was safe. And there are perhaps motivations And I know in the beginning of our conversation, you talked about perfectionism can take many different forms. But I also think part of it is fear. And that's one of the beautiful things that we see, whether it's St. Therese of Lisieux that you talk about, where truly a heart abandoned to Christ knows that we have nothing to fear. And in fact, the things that we fear most could actually be the thing, the ladder that gets us to heaven.
2: Yes, that's a great point. Uh, Fear is a huge driver in all of this, and that desire for control is probably the best definition I've seen for perfectionism, at least for spiritual perfectionism is what I like to call it. But, you know, that area of your life where you're just grasping too hard for control uh, beyond what's really realistic or what's what's needed. And um, I think that's a good way because a lot of us, you know, can easily see somebody else being perfectionistic about something and we don't care about all about that. You know, maybe one person's slaving over her kitchen floors, and the next one couldn't care less what their house looks like, but it's work. Work has to, everything has to be perfect or the kids or whatever it is. Um, But there is at that deep down fear. And I think it always goes back to, we kind of want to be gods still, right? And so it started in the garden, you know, they, we want to be our own God. We don't really like the idea of having to come and, and be in need and be vulnerable, but that's exactly what the devotion of the Sacred Heart reminds us of, that Jesus was willing to do that. Here the God of the universe was willing to enter the world as this tiny baby and allow himself to be scourged and beaten and mocked and whipped and crucified for love of us. And all he's asking of us most days is just to cut some slack to somebody who gave us a funny look or, you know, said something hard. Some days he's asking much more and a much harder cross, but always what he's asking is that we will allow him to love through us and that we will take his heart as our own. And and what that meant for saints like Therese was, um, accepting her own weakness and vulnerability and accepting that she might not achieve in this life everything she dreamed of. And she, and again, this isn't about being a slacker. It's just about setting your sights on something higher and different. And you could still maybe, you know, like Benedict and his monks do amazing things to save Western civilization, or maybe like Therese, you know, you'll die and they'll all sit around trying to figure out what to write in your obit because he didn't seem to do anything and yet she's a doctor of the church greatest saint of modern times the popes tell us so you know we can't always see on this side of eternity at least when we're in our own shoes the impact that our lives are having and the the sacred heart a devotion to the sacred heart and this chasing after gospel perfection instead of a human or worldly idea of perfectionism um, really allows us to just trust that jesus has the results and our job is to be, as Mother Teresa said, faithful, not successful. And and that's what will bear fruit, our fidelity in the day-to-day, our willingness to forgive, to be patient even with ourselves, to trust, to soldier on in the midst of the suffering, not pretending we're perfect and we've got it all together but admitting, man, this is hard and I feel like a mess now, but I know you love me and I know you're working my good somehow. And and to let go of perfectionism is to say, yes, I believe that verse from Romans is true. He's working all things for the good right now, even for me, even in this situation that I'm in the midst of.
1: And the beautiful thing is we just have such an arsenal of, of prayers, sacramentals that we can fall into, and that is even the name of Jesus, saying the name of Jesus, Jesus, I trust in you, the rosary, the chaplet, scriptures, we can make an act of faith and trust as as Saint Therese did. And we just have about three minutes left, but I really want to talk about that elixir, that medicine that you referenced, which is so beautifully... Awakened in your own heart when you bring us into the book the heart of perfection and that is the sacred heart of Jesus at one point You described the sacred heart image like wallpaper in the background of your spiritual life because no one had explained The meaning to you so maybe you could just conclude there this beautiful beating heart that came alive for you and gave you peace
2: Yes, I mean, I think a lot of us have heard of the sacred heart We see the images sometimes they're kind of syrupy the Jesus in them just seems like he's goading us to guilt and there's not much more to it than that But what I really came to see is it's an expression of his profound, fathomless love for us, Uh, how much he would do for us and how he's calling us to love in this this infinite abyss of love and how uh, he's not asking us to be good enough before he loves us. He's asking us to surrender to Him, to let Him take over every area of our lives, even those areas that we really, really want to hold on to, hold on to control. And, and, you know, I think Therese talks a lot about also not mistaking this for an easy path. We know that. And she says at one point, you know, don't think that if you follow this path of love, that this is going to be all sweetness. She says it's completely the opposite. You're, You're really, you're giving yourself up with any reservations to whatever God wants. And that means you can expect to help carry His cross. But the sweetness there is, is that you know you're in His will, you know He's taking care of you, and you know that you're no longer trying to be your own God and manage the world, which is a ridiculous task if we really think about it, that we're letting Him be in control. And then we're recognizing that we don't have to be perfect on our own. We just have to surrender to Him. And there's something very freeing about that. It's It's scary. But it's very freeing, and you begin to see the fruits all over your life when you begin to lean into this understanding of the Sacred Heart. And I don't mean to talk like I've got it figured out. I most certainly don't. But I have seen the fruits in my life, in my family, in in my work, in everything, when I start to really take seriously that idea that, that Jesus loves me unconditionally. He's calling me to share foremost in his love before he's calling me to do X, Y, Z achievement or, or you know, accomplish this or that. And and that's a very freeing thing for a culture that bases all of our value on what do you do, what you're, you know, what have you achieved? Yes. And this says, you know, who are you and who loves you? And we know the answer is Jesus. And, and there is no higher identity than that.
1: Amen. And like you said, we have nothing to fear that the crown of thorns can become our source of beatitude. And I just thank you for your honesty, your transparency. The Heart of Perfection has been out for a little while, and it's a book that I've returned to more than once. I highly recommend. I know as we wrap up, we just have a, a, little, a minute or so left. And what's the best way to connect with you and, and get a copy of the book, Colleen?
2: Sure. Well, The Heart of Perfection is available, um, you know, all the usual outlets, uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, a lot of Catholic bookstores. Um, My website is colleen-campbell.com, and that's where you can see links. to. You can get a free study guide to the book if you want to read it with friends. You can see, you know, if I'm speaking somewhere or doing something like that, you can read uh, other works that I've done and and, and see more about me there. That's colleen-campbell.com.
1: We will check it out. God bless you. Thank you. and um, Thank you. Thank you for being with us. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you to my first guest, Jason Anderson. He, husband, father, historian, founder of the Society of Hoban Gentlemen, joined us to talk about the Catholic High School where he is the social studies chair. And the Gentleman's Club is a place For young high school men to learn about virtue, service, self-respect. If you missed him, I recommend checking out the podcast episode, sharing it with others. Thank you to Colleen Carol Campbell. And the Rosary Across America is next. Drew Mariani hosting tonight. God bless you. Sacred Heart of Jesus, pray for us. St. George, pray for us. Until next time, God bless you.